0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, when I was 12 years old, my parents, along with four other families, decided that they were going to start a new church in our community. And so they met for months. They prayed, they planned, they dreamed about what kind of church they would create and how that church could impact the community. They eventually hired a pastor to teach and lead and they rented a vacant Catholic church building in the community for our meeting place and we met there for over 10 years. Um, We started small, just those five families, but we had big dreams about how to reach our community for Christ. Now in 1972, the hot trend in church growth and growing a new church was for the people to go door to door just knocking on the door and seeing if anybody would answer and talk to them about the church that we were starting. Our pastor decided that would be a perfect project for all the middle school and high school students, you know, to just show up on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and cold call on these homes in the neighborhood around the church. I thought that that idea was horrible, and I was confident that my parents would agree with me. It's not a great idea to send a 12-year-old out wandering around in a neighborhood. I don't care how nice the neighborhood is, right? So the following Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, my parents dropped me off at the church to do this cold calling on these homes. I obviously didn't win that argument. The pastor talked to the the students about what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, and then he prayed for us. I don't know what anybody else in that group was praying that morning. I know what I was praying I was praying that God would put me with an adult as a partner to go and do this, or put me with a high school student to go and do this, somebody older than me, somebody bigger than me that I could hide behind when we went to these doors. Instead, I ended up with one of my good friends who was also 12 and really was less enthusiastic about the idea than I was, so not a great team. Now, we went to the homes on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock they, you know, you look in the front windows, you walk up, most of the families are sitting there watching cartoons or just lounging out. They're still in their pajamas. We knocked on the door. Some people opened the door and were very nice, very courteous as they talked to us. Others looked, saw two kids on their front door and just stayed on the couch. Like they didn't even move in spite of the fact we could see them. And then to be honest, there were some who came to the door and were just downright mean to us. I am confident that no one from the surrounding neighborhood came to our church simply because some students came to their door and invited them. I still feel the pain of that 12-year-old kid, right? Sent out with an impossible task, and maybe you carry some similar pain around talking about your faith, because it can be a daunting task to talk to someone about something as deeply personal as our faith. Even as an adult, it can be hard. and Especially since we're not given any guarantees about what their reaction to the conversation will be. Now over the years, I've changed a lot in my way of talking to people about faith. Now, I still won't go door to door, but I will engage in conversations with people when I sense there's some openness to just take a next step in a conversation about Jesus. And I am equally confident that no matter what your story or mine is this morning as we sit in this room, God can use that story in amazing ways to help other people encounter the radical love of God. So last week, Scott kicked off a new teaching series that's going to go for four weeks, and we just titled it, This is Westridge, and in it, we're taking a look at our mission statement that was crafted 25 years ago and to this day drives everything that we do here at Westridge. And it's a very simple statement that goes like this. Westridge exists to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. Scott gave a great teaching last week. If you didn't listen to it, I'd encourage you to go to the podcast and pick that up. Last week, he talked about how we as individuals encounter the love of God. And I want to take that encounter idea a little different direction this morning, and I want to do it using the same story that Scott did, because there's a couple of sentences embedded in it that are really, really impactful. We're going to return to the story of Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, and we're going to consider this question, how might God use me to help someone I know encounter the love of God? Three of the four Gospels tell the story of Matthew's response to Jesus' invitation to become one of his disciples. Luke is the only one that tells us that Matthew, this wealthy, corrupt tax collector, left everything when Jesus called him and followed Jesus. He left all of the wealth he had amassed behind. He left all of his possessions behind. He just walked away from it all and followed Jesus Now, Luke refers to Matthew by his Hebrew name, Levi, when he goes on to say, Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as his guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. What's pretty clear in this passage is that Matthew wanted his friends to understand the radical love that Jesus had shown him and how it had changed his life. And he decided the best way to do that was to throw a party. Now, nowhere in the text does it say that this is like a bait-and-switch thing, right? That Matthew went out and invited a bunch of his friends to come in, knowing that about halfway through this fun evening, he was going to shush everybody, have them sit down, take a seat, lead a worship service, and then give Jesus an opportunity to give a message. That wasn't Matthew's plan. And so Matthew just threw, with the money he was leaving behind, he just threw this killer party with great wine, and time for good conversations, so that he could introduce his friends to Jesus. As the party went on, the religious leaders were out in front of Matthew's home, pacing back and forth up and down the street. They loudly voiced their criticisms of Jesus' presence at the home of a well-known sinner and his equally vile friends. At some point, Jesus had had enough of that and he just went outside and talked to the Pharisees and put them in their place. And the Bible doesn't give us this next part, but I just, in my own head, I imagine at that point, he turns around and Matthew's watched this whole thing and he just puts his arm around Matthew's shoulder and says something like, great job, Matthew. I mean, you took a huge risk here. You invited your friends here to meet me, people who may never have met me in any other way. Matthew, I love your heart. I'm proud of you. Now let's get back to the party so I can meet the rest of your friends. Like Matthew, I believe that once we fully understand how much we've been forgiven, love compels us to tell the story of how Jesus has changed our life. Now, if we're honest... I think all of us shy away from talking about our faith at times. You do it, I do it, I think we all do. The question is why do we shy away? I think sometimes we just don't know how to begin the conversation. We don't know the next question to ask. It just feels awkward for us to try to frame that. I think we're also concerned sometimes that if we get in the conversation, we may not have the answers to every question they've got. If it puts your mind at ease, I told somebody last week who has some questions. I said, look, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you, but I can't promise you I know all the answers. What I can pr- find is promise you is we'll find them over time. I think at some point, too, we don't want to come off like those well-meaning people who just show up at our door still, this day, unannounced, and start what proves to very, be a very awkward conversation with us about us accepting Christ. You ever had that happen? Happens at my house frequently, not sure what it is. And so they'll come to my door, and in spite of the no soliciting signs that are on the front of the house, they come to the door and try to convince me that I need to get to know Jesus. I don't know if Darren is sending them, but they show up. So I politely let them know, I already know who Jesus is. In fact, I'm a pastor. And what amazes me is in spite of that information, they continue to go on and try to convince me that I need to get to know Jesus and lay no faith in the fact that I've already accepted him. And it just gets awkward. And we resist sometimes talking about our faith because we don't want to be that awkward person. So how can you and I live out this vision of helping people encounter the radical love of God? How can we, with gentleness and respect, introduce our friends, our neighbors, our family to Jesus' love and grace? This morning, I want to share with you some just very simple ideas about how we can all do this simple task. And it involves three steps. And I want to Include in this some personal stories. I'm not sharing these stories because I get this right 100% of the time. None of us do. I want to set myself up as like, I'm great at this. So it's just stories that help illustrate what I'm talking about. Okay? Uh, Before we talk about something as personal as our faith, I truly believe that we need to develop a relationship with that person. If we want to share God's love with them, the first step is just to be their friend. For most of my adult life, I've had this simple practice. I mean, we've lived in Elgin now for over 20 years. And when I go to, I tend to go to the same restaurants, the same stores, you know, go to the same shops. And over time, what I do in those stores is I try to find one person. And every time I go to the store, I try to make a connection with them. Just beginning to form a friendship, whether it's a a cashier or somebody waiting on me at Home Depot or a barista. I just try to get to know them a little bit. I try to get to know some details about their life. And every one of those conversations gives me another snapshot of who they are. And if I stay in that relationship and keep asking questions, what I end up with is a a mural about their life and some of their faith journey. First time uh, I did this was with a cashier at Sam's Club years ago. Connie and I uh, made a commitment that every time we went to Sam's Club, we would find her register. And it didn't matter to us how long the line was. We would get in her line. And we'd wait. And it looked really weird to some of the registers that were open, and there was nobody waiting when we were like third or fourth in line, waiting. And they'd say, you can come over here. i go, no, we're good. Thanks. And so eventually, all those times of talking with her, getting to know a little bit about her, It came out that I was a pastor, which then led to what's a common response to that. She said, oh, yeah, I used to go to church as a kid. My parents sent me, but I don't really go anywhere now. That opened up a door for us in subsequent visits to talk to her about her faith, where she was, develop this relationship with her. Now, that openness only came over time. It came as we developed that relationship. It came when I could look at her, view her, not as an employee of Sam's who was there to wait on me or serve me or help me, but started to view her as an individual that God deeply loves. That step of developing a relationship matters deeply, especially in the day and time in which we live. We live in a time where people really don't care what we believe until they know who we are. And they're watching as they get to know who we are. How do we treat our spouse? How do we treat our children? How do we treat them? And if our faith makes us a jerk, why in the world would they want our faith? They might ask questions about it just so they could avoid it. Developing a relationship requires an investment of unhurried chunks of time, and it requires patience. Second step is to discover their story. This step begs us to become curious about their life and their story. Ask great questions in this step, questions that elicit a story from them. And with every story, we get the bigger picture of what their faith looks like now and their openness to Jesus. A few years ago, I officiated a wedding here at Westridge, and um, because we were building a relationship, a friendship uh, with the couple whose daughter was getting married we went to the reception and we don't typically do that but we went to that reception and so we got there and the doors to the reception hall were still closed and people were gathering in the lobby and so we grabbed a drink sat down with a couple who invited us because it was one of the few chairs left we sat down at the table with them and my cover was blown right they know i'm a pastor because i did the wedding and still they invited us to sit down, and what followed was a great conversation with them. Um, They opened up immediately. Sometimes this happens sooner and doesn't take a long time. They opened up immediately about how they met, their marriage, they opened up about the fact that he had grown up in the Jewish faith, but wasn't really practicing his faith at that point in time. She opened up about how she'd been involved in multiple different denominations and faiths through the years, She really just now considered herself an agnostic. What was really clear, even before they said a word, is she was about 18 months pregnant, right? Women understand that joke. Men will get it later. She was really, really pregnant. I wasn't sure she was going to make it through the reception, right? Noticing that, then talking about their child opened up the door for a very simple question. I don't always get these, but I did this one. I just looked and I said, so, I mean, you come from very different faith backgrounds. You know, now you're having a child, that forces, you know, a lot of decisions on your part. I'm just curious, what role do you think faith might play as you raise this child? That launched a great conversation with them. In fact, we sat in the lobby long after the fellowship, or the doors to the, the reception opened, And had a wonderful conversation with them. Now here's the thing. I don't know how their story will end. I've never seen that couple again. God allowed Connie and I to just be one link in the chain that we pray will ultimately connect them to Jesus. And sometimes that's all we're responsible for is one conversation, one link in the chain. You and I are not responsible for anyone's spiritual journey other than our own. God may use us in someone else's journey at the beginning of their journey, at the middle, or we may be the final link in that chain that leads them to Christ. And that's not unique to our generation or time. The Apostle Paul felt that way. He reminded the Christians in the city of Corinth who were arguing about the various spiritual influences they'd had in their life, arguing about which one mattered most and who was most important. Paul wrote to them and said, who do you think Paul is anyway? Talking about himself in third person. Or who is Apollos for that matter? Servants, both of us. Servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignment. I planted the seed. Apollos watered the plants. But God is the one who made you grow. Not everybody who talked to Paul accepted Jesus right away. Not everybody who talked to Jesus accepted him right away. Matthew did, immediately accepted and followed him. But the Bible also tells us in the Gospels that there was this rich young ruler who came to Jesus in the middle of the night, and when Jesus laid it out, he just turned and walked away. Most often, when someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, It comes after a series of conversations, a series of events, a series of experiences in their life. That cashier at Sam's Club, a few months after we started these conversations with her, we baptized her at our church. And only when the baptism came did I realize fully we were just one link in the chain. Turns out there were many families from our church who were doing just the same thing with her. There were many families from other churches doing just the same thing. In fact, I now realize that's why her line was so long, you know? (laughs) One link in the chain, in her spiritual journey. So we develop this relationship. We discover their story, and then we try to discern their next step. I think it may be the hardest step of the three because now we have to let go of our expectations. We have to let go of seeing them across the finish line. Coming to faith is going to be a process for that person, opening their mind, opening their heart to the love of God. And being patient in that process takes courage and discernment on our part. For some, their next step is just going to be another meal, another beer, another coffee, and a conversation with you. Sometimes the next step is inviting them to just enjoy some normal stuff in life and letting the conversation happen naturally, right? It might be inviting them over to watch the Bears game with you next Sunday. By the way, this is a great time to invite someone to watch a Bears game with you because at this point in the season, they're undefeated. I make no guarantees moving forward. It might be that you invite them over to help you with a project around your home or you volunteer to help with a project at their home just to have those unhurried chunks of time. And as we spend time with them, as we listen and learn, as we listen, we learn what kind of a next step they might be open to. Sometimes they could be inviting some of your Christian friends and them and some other friends in to just enjoy an evening together. When they're ready, it could be a simple thing like inviting them to come to something at Westridge. In the end, our role primarily is to help people figure out the right next step for them in their faith journey. And carrying that conversation out over time takes wisdom and discernment. And it takes us having faith that God is working in their life and through ours. So I wrap this up this morning. I want to go back to the story of my parents in that church. They invested heavily for two decades in that church after it started. Dad was on the leadership of the church. Mom played the piano, was involved in all kinds of stuff musically in the church. They both taught in Sunday school. They were heavily involved. 20 years after the church started, my parents walked away from it all. They never went back to church, and for all I could see, they'd walk away from their relationship with God. My wife, my kids and I, for 25 years, tried to start conversations with them, tried to help them figure out a next step for them to return to a relationship with God a God they once loved, to go back to the church that they had helped start. And honestly, in that 25 years, at some point, I just lost hope. I didn't see any way it was ever going to happen. In 2001, my father was rushed in for an emergency open-heart surgery. As I was driving from Chicago to Dayton, Ohio, I had no idea what was waiting for me. I got there early, early on a Monday morning. And a few hours after I got there, the doctor came out and told us the surgery had failed. It had not gone well. My dad was being moved to the intensive care unit. We were giving free access to visit with him as much as we wanted because we needed to say our goodbyes. But he was a tough old bird and he rallied, and he defied the odds. By Tuesday morning, he was taken off the ventilator. By Tuesday mid-morning, the doctors and nurses were limiting our visits, and I went back and talked, to and I said, yeah, he's doing better. He needs to rest and gain his strength. By Wednesday morning, he was able to have conversations. Short but conversations. For four nights I wondered what I would say if I had the chance to talk to dad one more time. And It wasn't me. God gave me some words to talk with him. Late Wednesday morning I had the opportunity. I was alone with my dad in his room and I Talked with him for a few minutes and I said, Dad, here's the thing odds are I'm going to have to give you up at some point. And that'll be hard. But I think the hardest thing for me is not knowing at that point if I'll ever see you again. I don't know where you are with your faith in God, Dad. And I'm worried. a unique question that God gave me for my dad's situation. And ironically, his heart was open in a figurative sense. And that one conversation led to more. And over the months, my dad called me and said, I need to find a Bible. Do you know where I could get one? the months passed, he and mom found their way back to God and found a church that they were a part of. Their faith carried them through the rest of their life. I sweated bullets over that one question. And I should have. Because occasionally we're given the opportunity in someone's spiritual journey to be there at just the right point and ask just the right question. For me, I didn't want to screw up this one chance that I had to potentially change the trajectory of his eternity. Truthfully, it was a heavy load to carry. And I think we all feel that at times. We, we're out of our league when we're trying to talk to someone about faith in Jesus. We all feel that. There are times when we feel nervous and we're tempted just to keep our mouth shut because we don't know where the conversation will go or if we are even able to carry it off. Our heart beats fast, our palms sweat because we know there's a lot riding on what we say next or the questions we ask or don't ask and the answers we give. In its simplest form, us sharing our faith is just simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's gently, respectfully, over time, helping individuals see that there is a God giving them hope that He can do the same change.